a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires and Renthal on RacerXOnline.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,500 podcasts delivered with over 15 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. As always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast with Jeff Emig. Stoked to have Fro on here and to talk about uh, a bunch of stuff and catch up with him. And uh, should be a good one, I think. Looking forward to, the, to, the, to that. Blah, blah, blah. And thank you, Fly Racing, for all you that they do for this podcast. Whether you go to your favorite dealer, favorite e-tailer, uh, they'll have it in. The 2021 stuff is out now. Of course, the uh, light pant got rid of the zippers and the buttons and the, all that stuff, and it just has a boa, which is really, really cool and something unique from those guys. Uh, they got new colors. They got the Formula CC helmet. They got the regular Formula helmet. Lots of things going on with the folks at Fly Racing. They've redesigned their goggles. They've got uh, the FR5 boot that Blow swore to a Supercross title down in Australia. And watercraft stuff, snow stuff as well. Uh, they've got a lot of things, hard parts, the, lots of things going on with Fly Racing. So please check them out if you can. I want to thank the folks at Renthal, of course, Jeff Emig, using Renthal to a Supercross Championship back in 1997. A fraction of a second, a few grams, a couple of millimeters, it all counts. Welcome to the winning world of Renthal. They've got more championships than all the other brands combined. And they've got the Fat Bar 36 that launched in January. Kenny Roxon used that to win some Supercrosses this year. So whether it's a Twin Wall, whether it's the original Fat Bar, whether it's a 7 8 Bar, which they still crank out and do very well, uh, Renthal has you covered sprockets, grips, and all sorts of stuff going on with the folks at Renthal over there in England. Also, thanks to folks at Maxis, Justin Rodbelt, using Maxis to... Uh, Really be the surprise of the summer in the 450 motocross class. Alex Ray, of course. Jeremy McGrath involved with those guys. they got mountain bike tires. they got light truck tires. Uh, they've got it all over at Max's Tires. If it's rubber and it's round, they've got it. Maxxis.com for more information. And Gas Gas comes stock with the MXSTs. Big jump for those guys at Maxxis. Uh, 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 really stoked for that, for Gas Gas guys to, to do that for them. So, uh, yeah, please check that out and more. Uh, thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Sign up on Patreon as well if you want some early access to this stuff. And, uh, yeah, let's get into Jeff Emig, shall we? Now, as promised, the Supercross champion, the Motocross champion, uh, one of the all-timers in the sport, whether he was on Yamaha or Factory Kawasaki, it's Jeff Emig Fro. What's up? Thank you for joining us. Uh, it's my pleasure, Steve. Did you say all-timers or old-timers? Uh, either I said all-timers, but old-timers works, too. <laughs> yeah, they almost go uh, go hand-in-hand hand these days. Yeah, so. absolutely, right? Uh, hey, so I t- saw you at Paula. We talked for a little bit, I guess. First up, let's get a few thoughts on you on the outdoor season. Um, Zach Osborne, man, the oldest champion ever, uh, really stepped up his game outdoors. Uh, got that win at Salt Lake City at the last round, and... Dude, it's a it's a really cool story. I mean, look, uh, Adam Cincirillo is going to win titles down the road. Eli Tomac is going to be the guy. I get all that. I'm stoked for Osborne. I got to think you are too. 
Oh, 100%. And when I saw that stat that at age 31, he was the oldest champion, it really made me think like, and, and put it into perspective when a guy like Jeff Stanton retired at 26, Carmichael at 27. Mm-hmm. I didn't win the Monster Energy Supercross title till age 26. And if I correct, I think Jason Anderson now, when he won the title a couple of years back, three, three, three years back, two and a half years back, that he's now the oldest Supercross champion. And But you're talking 26, 27. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So when you look at 31, and remember it was a couple of years back. Well, it's been more than a couple of years now, but we thought Chad Reed and Kevin Windham were defying, you know, the laws of nature <laughs> yeah, by yeah. riding past, oh, he's yeah. 31, he's 32. <laughs> Mike LaRocco was like 32 years old. You're going, <laughs> yeah. you're going, holy shit, you know. Yeah. And, and obviously they've broken down those sort of age barriers Although none of them are 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 going to match Tom Brady, what he's doing in the NFL as being age over you know over forty. Yeah. But but for but the the interesting thing about it is that he's a first time champion in that class at age thirty one. Mm-hmm. So it's like double mind blowing. Yeah. yeah. We're really really proud of him, and and he's going to be able to write a really good book on his life when when uh, when he's all finished and. Um, it just took him a little longer to get there. You know, yeah. some of the some of the best chapters in any book that you read are the ones towards the end. Right, right. And, and this, I think a little bit of this, I mentioned that last win at Salt Lake in the Supercross, Anderson's seat comes off and, and Osborne catches him. And, you know, I had somebody tell me years ago that your win in Vegas uh, with the lights went out, um, even though, you know, Jeremy wasn't out and some guys sat out, you still, you won the race and it, like, just getting that one win, and Zach admitted it. Like it kind of, it just, just. I mean, look, he knew he could win. I mean, you know, he's gotten tons of podiums and everything else, but getting the win was a big deal, and I think it was for you too. You know, so uh, you could probably relate a little bit to that, where you, 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 you get to the top of the mountain, and you're like, oh, I can really do this. Well, the belief factor is so under. Um you know, uh, talk, uh, uh, uh under talked about or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Represented yes, yeah. when you're trying to climb the ladder of success because you're trying to do something that you haven't done before. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is only, you know, everyone else around you sees the work you do, the talent you have, the dedication you have, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then there's that inner voice that athletes, um, I mean, people in general, probably you fight that inner voice that tells you that you're not good enough, that you can't do it. And, and so when, when you when you reach that goal and you cross that sort of echelon, you're like, oh, OK, now now I, I can do this. Yeah. Um, and 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 sometimes um, it's a it's a one and done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes the athlete, uh, you know, in this case, the racer has the ability to to, you know, start to build a foundation out of that um, and then believe in himself and, and realize that. Okay, well, I'm training with Alden, and all the guys that I've trained with for the last five years have all won championships. And you know, whether it's uh, um, Jason and and uh, Marvin Muscan, Ryan Dungey, blah blah blah. I'm yeah. doing all this, yeah. and so then it all the pieces of the puzzle come together. And and uh, it, you know, some of the rides that that Osborne was able to put in this summer to me were really really impressive, but none more important than the second moto at Florida 
at yeah. WW Ranch. Yeah. Because um, he he didn't need to win that moto or whatever, but he needed to prove it to himself. And it's like uh, my partner on Real Talk 447, Ricky Carmichael, says all the time, you want to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. And that day he beat the champ. Mm-hmm. And we all know Tomac has the ability to pull these motos out. He had he it wasn't as consistently doing it this year, but dude, he was on fire. Yeah. And Zach said, no, you know what? I'm going to risk it all. And I'm going to prove to everyone. I'm going to prove to myself right now that I deserve to be the champion this year, <clears throat> this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It, 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 yeah. He could have let him by. Eli was on one of those that we've seen. Eli was ready. Right. <laughs> and, and he yeah. held him off. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, can you imagine back in the day, like, like, obviously things are a lot different, but what if you just, what if Jeff Emig, you know, 1997, 1996, Jeff Emig showed up every morning and, and there was, uh, Lampson and McGrath and, um, uh, um, you know, Larry Ward and you guys all just had the same trainer and you just did motos together on a Wednesday. Yeah. I just, I, I think about that. (laughs) I think about that a lot. It just, I, I'm not sure that something like that would have worked for me. Um, yeah. I, I think I all of you guys, like though, it. yeah, when you talk to, sorry to interrupt you, but when you talk to all of you old guys, I've talked to Stanton about this, you know, I've talked to Timmy, they all, including you, have a hard time wrapping your head around this, right? Like back in the day, it just doesn't, yeah. it would never have happened. Different, different generation. Um, I really hated <clears throat> that aspect of it when we go out testing or practicing with mm-hmm. the team and everyone's got stopwatches out and you know there's all this pressure to go out you know back in the days we'd go ride some of these shitty tracks and stuff out in the hills and we'd go testing and you know rhino or somebody is out there you know even the early days doug dubach is out there just just crushing the lap time um and it's and it's to me it was not uh it was more about the lap time than it was the process of what you're doing to get better um, but you know, the, I think you can look at it a couple different ways and mm-hmm. that's how the sport has evolved. And this is what these guys have signed up for. And <laughs> when you end up being the champion, you're like, this is great. Yeah. Uh, but there's certainly plenty of riders that have trained in the group think tank and training tank that, yeah. uh, that didn't, that didn't succeed either. You yeah. know, I mean, you yeah. had, um, um, a number of guys that were with Eldon in the early days, um, that, that didn't have the success mm-hmm. and maybe that just wasn't for them i mean you know there's multiple factors yeah. to that and i i don't want to just you know single out eldon or any of the other guys but sometimes it just doesn't work for you and the, and if that's the case you have to find what works for you and in this yeah. case it, it's obviously working for zach osborne yeah I'm, I'm buddies with weimer and i went out there when he was factory cowie with rv and, and it was rv him it was kenny it was ac and Jake was just getting beat down mentally. He didn't want to be there anymore. Yeah. Uh, he was the slowest guy. He pulled the day I was the couple of days I was there. He pulled out of the motos early, rode back, changed, and left. Like he, he wasn't in a good spot, and it didn't work for him. You know? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. as Villapoto stepping on his head, climbing, climbing the ladder, it's pushing Jake the other way. So yeah, there is. You know, it, it, if if you know, it's not just a situation where the you know, the rising tide raises all boats or whatever it is. It's, it's not, I mean, you, you want it to be that way. And if I owned, owned an organization, um, like what these guys are running, the different individuals, I would, I would certainly want that. Um, but in that case, yeah, that certainly was one where it just didn't, didn't work in his favor. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a really cool story with, um, with Zacco winning for sure. So, um, we had, 
I talked to you at the Paula, right? So I asked you how your podcast was going, 447, you and RC. And uh, and jokingly, you know, you, you, you talked about putting the blame on, on Ricky uh, for not always. Oh, always. Yeah, yeah. So then we yeah. had Ricky on the show Monday night. Ricky came on the Pulp MX show. And I said, hey, man, like, how's the podcast going? I just talked to Fro and, and you know, and he said he's waiting for you to call and you guys are doing some episodes. And then Ricky immediately talked trash on you not being ready for the show and everything else. So just want you to know that you guys are perfect together as always. Well, he's been married before. He's been in relationships. Deflection is like the first thing that you do when you're guilty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are in an election year. I've watched deflection and redirection all day long on TV. So, yeah. So Right. But how's that going? Do you you enjoy that? Is it something new for you guys? And um, I don't know how the listeners are are reacting or whatever, but do you like it? Uh, I do. I like having the um, the media outlet. You know, the the it's in a small way filling the void of not um, being the color analyst on the Supercross broadcast or the Pro Motocross broadcast. Um, and and it really keeps me engaged because even uh, this morning, getting ready for this show, I, I I get back in the mindset of like thinking like a racer, thinking industry wise. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of goes along with the book I'm reading right now, and 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 um, and I really enjoy that. You know, uh, um, I enjoy that part of it. And I love talking yeah. about motocross and racing and yep. and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, well, that's good. Good to hear. Um, the the only the only thing is that you know. The first season that we did, <clears throat> we kind of threw it together. Ricky mm-hmm. and I we were just paying for it by ourselves, you know. Yep. We, it was costing us money <clears throat> trying to figure out how we do the show with me being in California and Ricky being somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida, Florida, most of the time. And then earlier this year, when we when we um, started the 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 show for Supercross, um, Fox Racing and the Fox Digital Cinema Department came on board to handle all the editing. We used a conference room at the Fox Racing headquarters mm-hmm. as our studio, and we had this studio set up that was like, you know, Jimmy Fallon or yeah, Johnny yeah. Carson or something like that, and I loved it. And the irony, of course, I'm sure you've heard that <clears throat> that conference room doesn't get used very much, Yeah, but it's actually in all of the conference rooms that are at Fox Racing – are named after former athletes for the mm-hmm. for the for the company. Yeah. Well, that happens to be the McGrath Conference Room of all oh. things, right? So it's classic. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's great. The irony, um, but but it's this really cool red room, and it's just so we had the you know overlooks um, the entire building. You've got mm-hmm. four four sided glass, and and so it's great. So we had this studio set up, and yes, sometimes I'll be in the studio with Ricky. Sometimes he'll be at home, uh, you know, and then of course. COVID hits, the wheels falls off of everything. And all of a sudden, our whole life, Zoom becomes the norm. <clears throat> yeah. I I hate having to do the like, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube, obviously on when you're listening to it on a podcast um, um, server, it doesn't matter. It's just audio. But yeah. on, the vi- on the video side of things, you've got you're a two box or three box or a four box. Like, I really hate that. And I want to get back to face-to-face interactions. And what we've had to do this year and this summer um, is less motivating for me to do it that way. I just, right. you know, I, I, I want the whole show, right. I come from television, uh, you know, in, if you wanted to put it maybe on a, on a, on a, on like a ladder of, of what, you know, performance or quality is where TV being the highest and podcasts being, and I don't mean this as a knock, but it's just audio yeah. with very low, very low production expands quality all that and so 
podcast as we do our shows now, they are somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to just do a show that's that's you know that's just a Zoom a Zoom call. Yeah. But this this year, twenty twenty, this this is what we're doing. So I hope to move into different quality as we as we um, evolve the show. It's always better face to face. I mean, I've been doing this for yeah. for for twelve, thirteen years now, and. When I do a podcast uh, face-to-face, it's better. Uh, our Pulp Show, we have video now on our Monday Night Pulp Show. It's better. Uh, so absolutely, yeah, I'm with you. The, yeah. yeah, you got the studio. You see everybody's body language, mm-hmm. and, and you guys can use hand signals, and you see everyone's reactions and all that. Yeah. And, yeah, so. Um, been a couple of years since uh, since you were doing TV. Uh, RC slid into the job that you had. You guys had a three-man booth for a lot of years, and then he took over. Um, I guess initial reaction on that, uh, fro that move did it catch you by surprise and 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 looking back on it uh do you wish you still were doing it do it do you enjoy getting off the merry-go-round a little bit and uh, talk about that a little bit um well let's see where do i start um <laughs> yeah you've been watching too much political stuff you had like a, it's like you're in the white house briefing room oh, like okay. three questions in okay all right question um yeah, I I really, you know, it's been uh, three Supercross seasons now that I've been out from from that position. Um, I more than anything, I miss the responsibility that comes with the with the job, um, mm-hmm. and I miss working with the team. And uh, you know, most of the people that are on the the, the on the uh, production side, uh, whether it's uh, you know Chris Bond, the producer, and everyone in the TV truck, or even uh, people from Feld like Doug uh, Cabrera and working with uh, Prater and everybody. Um, I really miss that. I miss uh, the people from the network. So, uh, but I, I, I like the, uh, I like the challenge of it and I like the responsibility that comes with um, you're one of the few voices that the sport has on TV. Mm-hmm. And, and after, after doing it for 12 seasons, you know, I, I really felt that I, that, that I had a really good understanding of that. Um, and yeah, there are shows that were probably really bad. Hopefully there are shows that were really good. Um, but I was really disappointed that the, um, when the, you know, I had a meeting, uh, with Feld about, Hey, okay, we've made the, we're making the switch to NBC months and months and months goes by. I said, okay, well, we're, we're about a month away, probably in a good place. And then all of a sudden, uh, had a meeting and said, yeah, there's a short list and you ain't on it. And so Jeez, that was probably that, that little time, huh? <laughs> well, yeah. it's that it's that. Well, well, wait a second. I'm I'm not even on the list. And still to this day, there other than, yeah, we're just going to make a change. Um, there really was no valid reason. So, um, you, you know, it's like when your girlfriend breaks up with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it, it's me, not you. You know, <laughs> um, but right. we know that that's not the case. So, so that being said, the the fact that that um, Ricky then moved from a part time position mm-hmm. into a full time position, I don't think of it as he took my job or anything yeah. like that. That's not that's that's not the case. Ricky's Ricky. I'm Jeff. Some people would um, though. Some people would look at it like that. So props to you for not, because it's an easy yeah. jump to make, and you to be very pissed off about that. Yeah, yeah, I I that didn't that sort of time period didn't last very long for me. I I honestly, Steve, I got into a and the attitude of gratitude very quickly, mm-hmm. 
and I had a chance to reflect on it. Um, I took the opportunity to to reach out and I and I emailed all of the bosses and the people that were part of the opportunity that I had and I let them know how much I appreciated it. Um, and then, then the, the, you know, so, so then the word goes out, um, that Ralph Fricky, Daniel and Will will be the broadcast team and the overwhelming support from people on social media, people in the industry, friends, family, even, people reaching out and with their um, support and compliments and, and Hey, we really miss you. I mean, it was, it was overwhelming. So in, in a way, this is how I also have, have uh, even though I would desperately love to do that job again, I love doing that job. I love having part of it is that what also softened the blow is that I know that, that none of, of, the decision for me not to be on the show had nothing to do with my performance that the fans think I did a bad job, um, that I was disliked or Mm -hmm. or anything like that. So in a, it, 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 they, I mean, I'm talking thousands. Okay. That appreciated immensely what I brought to the show. Mm -hmm. Now, can somebody else do that? Yes, they can. Ricky has done a fantastic job. He keeps getting better with each passing year, just like I hope people think I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trust me, I don't watch shows from back in 2007. They were horrible. Don't <laughs> you can, You'd have to take me to a chair. You'd have to tape my eyes open yeah. to get me to watch some of my early on cameras, and that's just part of it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, um, so that being said, you know, I I look back on it with um, a lot of gratitude. You know, it was uh, some of the best years of my life, some of the best years of work, um, and thankfully have built uh, what appear to be some lifelong friendships out of it. So, Well, good for you. Yeah, that's an awesome attitude for sure because, you you know, like I said, there some people would be bitter. Some people would be pissed. Some people would, would lose a friendship over it and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, yeah, that that's attitude of gratitude. I like that. You know? Well, it comes yeah. down to like just like erasing and things on the track or in life. There's some things that you can control and some things you can't. And if you obsess over things that you can't control, you are going to be a very unhappy, bitter person. You know? Yep. Yeah, so. no, uh, I agree. Uh, so, yeah, good, good job on that. And I agree, Ricky is getting better. You know what I mean? He's doing He's doing better. I, I think his year two to year one was was, was a big step. So, um, so how's the how's, – but, but, okay. but hold on. Okay. So – and then, and then you have seasons like we had this year, whether it was Monster Energy Supercross or Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. Mm-hmm. Whenever it's like a kick-ass race, I'm like, shit. <laughs> I want to be. I want to be in the middle of that. Yeah. I want to be doing that. Yeah. Oh, such a good race! Oh, that would have been so much fun. You know, and I still find myself whenever I'm watching races, and like my son Jagger, he's almost 13. He's going to be a total smartass. He's like, Dad. Like I'm talking to him. Oh, watch what's gonna happen. Here it comes. He's yeah, like, yeah. Dad, you're not the broadcaster anymore. Yeah. Ouch. Can I just watch the show? Jeez. And then he gets pissed off and then he doesn't even want to finish because I'm like broadcasting right. from whether we're, you know, at the house or whatever we're doing. I, I uh yeah, I kinda I mean, I not that we run in the same circles that much, but I didn't see you around at some of the rounds and so I didn't know if you were coming around and, and maybe you were just like, Ah, I'm not even going, you know what I mean? I, I wasn't sure, so I didn't know your attitude about how that went, you know? So, 
Oh, the first good, year yeah. was a little bit like that. I went to, um, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. I mean, you know, it, yeah. after all these years of being in the sport and, and to, to go to an event and feel uncomfortable where before it was like you own the thing, you had mm-hmm. your all access pass. Nobody tells you that you can go through a door or can't go through a door. Yeah. You can literally step on every part of the track, except that there's bikes going through there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and the, the sort of, you know, uh, you know, it enables you to, to like have like this ownership to it mm-hmm. in your position. Yeah. And so, so let me, let me tell you this quick story about this. So, Yes, it was uncomfortable. It was not good. But so the first race that I went to was A1. And I can say A1 right now. I can say A1 as much as I want, as opposed to five years ago <laughs> when Fell didn't want us to say A1. Yeah. So three so three seasons ago when Ricky's got the job. Um, so the first race, I go to meet some friends outside of Anaheim Stadium mm-hmm. at the restaurant right there, yeah. uh, The Catch. Yeah. Well, I don't have a parking pass or anything. All I have is a VIP uh, pass and ticket to go to the Fox VIP suite. We have the big, you mm-hmm. know, like hundred person suite at the stadium. So I don't have an all access pass yet or nothing like that. I just have a ticket. So I park at the catch valet there, meet some friends, uh, before the race while well, I'm walking, um, through the parking lot, you, you know, over to the stadium yeah, and yeah, I'm walking yeah. literally through the fans, right? They're like tailgate parties and all kinds of stuff. And people are looking at me like, Yo, shouldn't you be like up? Shouldn't <laughs> yeah. you be upstairs right now? What are now? you doing? Right. Yeah. So you can imagine, you're like, well, you know, and you're walking by, so you don't have the time to get into the whole story. They're they don't understand. They don't know that I wasn't doing that job, right? Yeah. Um. And so there was sort of that uncomfortableness and feeling out of place. Mm-hmm. Um. And watching the race, and and so I go up to the VIP suite, which is literally located right below the broadcast booth. And Ralph is like, Hey, why don't you come up and say hello and this and that? And I said, no, I said, you know, uh, Ricky, this is Ricky's spot right now. You know, he doesn't need like me, you know, even though we're dear friends and all that, he doesn't need like me being in there. Like, it's just let them do their work. Let them be focused. There's no purpose for me to go up there. I will say hello to you afterwards or whenever we, uh, you know, catch up. So um, it's just really hard to watch any races without the monitor and all the timing and scoring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. Um, yeah. It's just, I really miss that. It's the best seat in the house because you've got, you've got the ISO monitor for all the replays that you see before anyone else at, at home does. Uh-huh. You get all the replays, you work together on stuff that you're going to use the teleprompter with, and you've got two timing and scoring. And then you got Ralph as the, you know, handling right. the program right. when you're doing other stuff. So it's the best seat. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So, are you still you keeping busy with Fox and the coaching and ODI uh, with the with the Emig stuff and all that? Is that kind of what's taking up your time? Yeah, I mean, I've got uh, I've got a few irons in the fire with some different things. Um, um, the um, projects that I have with ODI um, with the with the grips is mm-hmm. going extremely well. Good, Just yeah. been fan- fantastic and. Um, we made uh, had a couple of plans together to introduce uh, some new products, but we haven't pulled the trigger on those yet. Um, so a lot of that work is about uh, marketing and advertising and, mm-hmm. and things like that. I was really stoked to bring um, um, to have uh, Justin Cooper run the Imig Pro Grip this year. Yeah, I saw uh, that on year. social. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course, the Star Racing Yamaha team is backed by ODI Grips, um, and so. 
Justin ended up choosing the Emig Pro, wins the first race, wins the motocross. So had a great season, and it's nice to be able to market um, with a kid like that. That's that's mm-hmm. uh, you know improving his uh, career. But the main thing is our customers are just. I mean, they love it. I mean, if you go through the comments on our you know, on the posts I put out, um, the customer feedback is just exceptional, like mm-hmm. nothing I've ever seen before. So oh, really, really thankful for that. You know, um, I'm sure most people know there's been a, a few changes at Fox racing because of COVID and yep. so Fox and shift MX and things like that, but nothing has changed there. It's, it's, you know, um, it, it's almost like, it feels like that this is a lifetime appointment to represent uh, shift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, there was yeah. no hearing or anything though, yeah. in case you were wondering, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're an uh, ambassador, you're an ambassador yeah. and that's it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so still do that. Still ride Husqvarna's still have just, uh, you know, a, a real appreciation, appreciation for riding. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't ride much this summer. Uh, the COVID thing kind of had, had, uh, you know, everybody kind of, um, you know, stay and put a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and in the meantime, I opened up a little side business. So I lived down on Balboa Island, which is Newport beach. And mm-hmm. I have this little, this little, uh, market and like takeout grill kind of, I have a couple partners, just yep. a little side project. And, and it's been interesting and fun and humbling. And, and it's, uh, it's called Balboa Island market and grill. And, um, it's so completely different than anything yeah, that I uh, I've yeah. done in my life. And so it's just been great experience, I think, and, you know, make a little bit of money on it. And just, I really enjoy the, um, uh, living down here in Balboa. So oh, it's beautiful. It's a lot of, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of changes there. in that way too. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful down there for sure. Um, yeah, that's good to hear. Uh, yeah. The ODI seems that you've been involved with that for a number of years and I'm glad it's working out and, and, and all of that. Um, I guess when I don't, maybe this is a social media thing, but when I see you riding, I've seen you up in Washougal for the 125 thing. Uh, you, you post photos when you ride a lot on a 125. You and I were talking uh, at the race at Paula. You were talking about how you brought your 125 out there. Like, is that what you choose to go on? Is that your bike of choice? It is. It is. It okay. is. And, and why? Thankfully, yeah. well, thankfully, I ride for a brand, you know. Um, uh, uh, you know, um, Husqvarna motorcycles yeah. that builds bikes in you know, in every category. Um, and so they're, they're the new two stroke models are truly new models. The engine. Yes. You could say that it's not as technically advanced as what a four stroke is with EFI and all this sort of stuff, but you got to think that that's coming fuel injection and stuff like that. I, I would think that it's going to be here soon because they already have it on mm-hmm. the off-road bikes. Yeah. Okay. But back to your question is, you know, I had the ability to ride all the bikes yeah. and whatever bike I want. Like, I mean, you know, when I talk with John Hines and Jenna and, 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 uh, uh, Blaine, uh, Shetler and like all the bosses and everybody like, yeah. we don't care what you ride because <laughs> we sell them all. Yeah. Right. And I got to the point where, you know, the 450 to me is such an incredible bike. Um, I mean, the customers that the motorcycle industry has this day, they're really thankful. I mean, really, it's it's the, the bikes are pretty damn good right out of the box. But but I found that when I rode these different bikes and I rode the 125 and I will and I will uh, uh, be transparent I actually ride a 150. So I have, um, we sell a 150 kit, KTM and Husky sell a 150 yep. kit that mm-hmm. you can get from your dealer. 
And then this year, I decided to have my old buddy Terry Varner from Varner Motorsports do some engine work to it. Oh, okay. So I have so I have so I have a 150 kit with some engine work done. Mm-hmm. FMF pipe and silencer. Okay. So the engine, it, it, you know, it's just a little easier to ride than a 125, but it's yeah. still a small bore two stroke, right? You still, the jetting's off if oh, the yeah. weather is, or, or, you know, not off bad, yeah, but just, like the yeah. jetting's not. Yeah. So, but honestly, people, people don't believe me. The last three years I ride my bike with the stock chassis where I haven't even changed the clicker on the suspension for three years. Really? Wow. I ride, however it comes, however yeah. it comes, that's the fork pressure that I run, the yeah. air pressure in the fork. I ride it stock. And if it's not good enough, then I just slow down. Wow. I'm okay? surprised because, yeah, you, I mean, you can still ride a motorcycle pretty damn good. So I'm surprised, but good for that. Yeah, but that's it's awesome. Yeah. So I don't, so I don't race there. We have had some discussions about racing uh, Loretta's this year. If I race Loretta's, I'm certainly going to have to make sure that I maximize the performance, whether it's the chassis, suspension, yeah. engine, yeah. whatever, whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to do that. But for when I go ride the 150, 125, it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. And I, Steve, I shit you not, I ride a tank of gas every time I ride. Even if I haven't ridden for a while, yep. I still go out and bust out a tank where my mechanic, BJ Burns from MX University, He's like, he'll walk out, like, sometimes he rides with me, sometimes he's out there training, you know, he'll, like, flag me off, like, dude, you're going to run out of gas. <laughs> whereas, yeah. whereas before, on a 450, I go out there, and the thing's trying to pull my hands off, mm-hmm. right? I'm hanging off the back of the thing like I'm doing a Superman because the bike is, <laughs> the performance is so I I have more fun, for me, this yeah. is my, yeah, yeah. this is my, I have more fun riding a 125 slash 150 yeah. than I did riding a 450. And you you just, it just, uh, it doesn't seem like it tires you out as much. I love the action. I love that the skill that it takes for RPMs and shifting and, and, you know, yeah. using the clutch and all these other things where a 450, you put the thing in third gear and you can ride the whole track. You don't even need to grab the clutch. You don't have to shift. You just turn the throttle. Well, the, you, it is a lot of work to ride a small bore two. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I really, yeah, totally. I, and I really enjoy it. Right. Wow, so. I'm surprised. Yeah, it's a lot of work to go fast on one of those. But I guess, I mean, you're a great rider, so you know maybe it's not as much work for you as it would be for a normal guy. Uh, uh, but that's that's awesome. And probably the 150 is just perfect, right? Like the just the right amount of power. Yeah, yeah. and like I said, Varner did an engine for yeah. me. Um, he hadn't done an engine for me since, uh, we won the U S open back in 1999. So it was nice to, to get together with him. He's yeah. absolute brilliant when it comes to two strokes and all that. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, so it's, it's got, it just, you know, I was out at uh, Cahia a couple of days ago or last week, I guess it was. And it was like, man, this thing is running so good. You hear that, you know, that, that just that tone of when a two stroke is just screaming yeah, yeah. and revving yeah. out, you know, that's yeah. a, you know, nowadays it's just, you know, oh, it sounds amazing. <laughs> Bike sounded great. You know? Yeah. So there's probably some nostalgia that goes along with it and, and all that, but I really enjoy it. And I'm stoked, you know, that, that, um, you know, that I have the option, uh, riding for who's fun motorcycle. Is it a better bike than your Franken YZ125 yeah. you won the title on? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that a Honda piston and a Suzuki ignition and Bobo uh, taking the main jet out or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. There definitely was some, 
with some changes. A big thing, people every now and then they ask me about the monojet carburetor. Yeah. Um, that you know Steve Butler uh, worked on when I was at the factory Yamaha. It's just you know those those stories will be in the book one of these days. You know. Right. So, yeah. Uh, um, Butler. To- super. Super. But- Butler told me like literally like the it was so sensitive like in the morning had one jet setting. First moto was one jet setting. Second moto, he had to go take it, oh, like, yeah. t- go find a parking lot uh, or a grass field by the national to go jet it for each moto. You know? so, yeah. Oh yeah, no, it it, it was it yeah. was really important. And I mean, I remember uh, taking the needle jet, and some people these days don't even know what the hell yeah, that is. Yeah, but true. if it was just a little lean in one spot mm-hmm. uh, between Steve and Bob Oliver, uh, Bob was the engine builder. They would literally say, "Okay, Steve would." would figure out, okay, it needs to be a little richer in this spot. And he had a little file, like a little grinding stone. Yeah. He would gr- he would take and just grind the needle down a little bit to make it a tad bit richer <laughs> in that spot. And yeah. then that was the that was the the red bud needle. So when <laughs> we make the red bud yeah, you know. Yeah, crazy. No, absolutely nutty, uh for sure. Um no, that sounds good. So, so okay. So I wasn't imagining things because I've just seen you on one twenty fives lately, like a lot. Like, like I said. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the only bike I ride. Right. You know what's you know what's crazy? So a couple of years ago, I didn't ride very much. Mm-hmm. So my last year's bike, and I put like twenty two hours on it in a year. Yeah. Outside of when I rode at Ricky's, which would only be a couple hours total, uh, like that's all that I rode. Okay, the bike I have now, I got over a year ago. Uh-huh. It just. It just passed 12 hours. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, And keep in mind, I ride like 40 minutes or right. so each time I get on the bike. So that's the least I've ever ridden. But I go out on that bike, mm-hmm. and I it it's not about lap times. It's not about racing some amateur kid. It's yep, not about yep. racing some pro guy that's out there. It's not about racing some vet guy that I used to race out there. It's not about anything. I am very well – or I, I – I have my ego in check mm-hmm. to where that I'm very clear on what level of risk I want to take and yeah. what I'm there for. I'm not out at the track. I mean, I rode um, uh, State Fair, which is the old uh, Star yeah. West. Yeah. I rode State Fair a couple of days ago. Super fun. It was really challenging because it was really muddy. Um, I want to ride my lines whether it's the fastest line or not. Right. Okay. And you go out there with super muddy. These guys are riding the rails on the outside of every turn. And that's the fastest way to go. Great. I don't, I make my lines and I, I'm not riding to race against anybody. Mm -hmm. I'm riding to challenge myself. And I love, I get in the zone and I'm just clicking off my laps and I'm trying to do everything perfect where, okay, last lap I went through and I, I caught my foot and I drug my leg. So I want to go through this next lap. I want to go through that same turn clean with perfect form. And, uh, you, you, yeah. you know, so it's not about racing anyone or any lap time. It's about the feeling that I get when I ride and what I, what I get out of it. And when I leave there with that, like that I'm exhausted and it was challenging and it was fulfilling and mainly fun, yeah. dude, I am stoked. Like, Two weeks ago when I rode a Cahia, the track was so fun. And I'm getting ready to turn 50 in less than two months. And I, I still go, you got to be kidding me that I'm 49 years old and I still enjoy riding motocross as much as I do. It's literally the best, you know, two yeah. hours of yeah, my yeah. week. That's awesome. No, that's cool. And, and and it doesn't frustrate you that you can't do what you used to do or, or you can't, 
you know, be as fast as you once were. Like, I mean, literally one no. of the best riders in the world. You at one point, dude, you, you know, dude yeah. your boy, your boy Kiefer the other day had me by like two seconds a lap. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's some amateur kids go out. Yeah, you know, yeah. Hey, Steve, I'm going to go on a tangent here. Okay. And this is for all these amateur kids that are out there listening. You little mother, you know, <laughs> mother. You, if you want to, if you want, if you want to run somebody, you jump in behind them and see what you got. These dudes and these kids, they want to pull in front of you mm-hmm. and race you. Yeah. They roost the shit out of you because yeah, yeah. I don't run any tear offs. I don't want to get dirty. <laughs> I don't want none of this. And they jump in front of me and then want to race. Etiquette is way off the charts. Yeah, that yeah. is bad etiquette. Yeah. And I'm not going to have it. I'm not <laughs> like going to have it. I'm like, like dude, it. you pull in front of me like, uh, no. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I agree. Yeah, it's ridiculous uh, uh, for sure. I, I got roost. I went riding last night at a night track up here in Vegas. And same thing. A guy pulled on to, pulled onto the track ahead of me, which is whatever, because that was a track entry point. I get it. And then he, he, I follow him into the turn. He slows down. And he just roosts the shit out of me coming out of the turn. I'm like, thanks, thanks a lot, guy. Thanks. Looks uh, looks back. He's got a Wygant sticker on the back of his helmet. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, Jeff Emig on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, flyracing.com for more information from those guys. 2021 stuff is out now. Uh, also brought to you by Renthal and Maxis, of course, Maxis tires and Renthal handlebars. Uh, also, Race Tech suspension. Pulp 20 is the code to save with Race Tech. Uh, please check them out and get your motor work done. Get some suspension work done with the folks at Race Tech. Long time SoCal company doing great things. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, Jeff Emig on the line. Um, something about going back to Fox a little bit. Uh, your buddy Pete Fox looks like he has a new venture coming out. I don't exactly know what it is for sure. I've texted with him a little bit back and forth, but man, I got all the time in the world for Pete Fox. And, and this is a guy that you know very well, much better than I do. But what an interesting, eclectic, uh, smart guy he is. And I'm looking forward <laughs> to his, to his uh, new venture. Yeah, I mean, he lives two miles from me. Oh, he does. Right? Okay, been, yeah, yeah. We've been dear friends forever. I was in his wedding. Um, you know, things like that. I had dinner with him probably three, four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Taco Tuesday at the Red O, so I yeah, did yeah. have to preface it that I probably had a little bit of tequila before our conversation. <laughs> but, but you know, he's just – he's um, he's very strategic and very secretive with what he's doing. He's mm-hmm. put some things out about the Renan brand. Yep. Dude, I don't – I probably know less than you do. Yeah. And he and 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 you know, and he's a dear friend. So yeah. <clears throat> one thing that you know is that he's passionate. You can you know, he's passionate about motocross. He loves it, motocross, supercross, across the board. Um, he's extremely talented when it comes to um, the business of uh, motocross gear and and clothing and design and things like that. So mm-hmm. I guess we'll all just have to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the stories I've done some of these podcasts with him and launching the shift brand and get, putting you in it and doing the ads and and you know what I mean, just brilliant stuff and it all came together at a great time um you know what i mean i just i I can't get enough of those stories signing rj when he was 15 signing rj to a deal you know down in carlsbad or something and he couldn't drive oh god like it's just just amazing so uh, yeah you know a really really cool interesting dude for sure do you do you ever hear stories about jeff emig that aren't true is anybody? Do you ever like at this point? Like you know, obviously we know all about your racing career and 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 the off track stuff too as well. And um, do you ever hear stories, even and even motocross stuff, where you're like, oh, I heard I heard you did this one time, and you're like, no, that never happened. Or do you just play along with it and go, yeah, yeah, that was a great time. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the majority of it would be the the pro marijuana 
people out there, um, you know, they, they love to hear those stories and, and things like that. And, you know, that's uh, me being branded as the guy, like the ambassador for that is so yeah. wrong because it's, I'm, I mean, I, I, smoked marijuana at times i wasn't the guy that yeah like, you were some j-law even, guy or whatever even, right yeah, well yeah. well even when i got arrested and it happens to a 99 i make a joke out of it but it it honestly wasn't my weed like <laughs> yeah. you know yeah it's, i don't i'm not gonna say whose it was but you're right. like you know <laughs> i guess possession is what they say nine tenths of the law yeah, yeah i guess like so, yeah, yeah. I've, i learned that lesson um but it wasn't you know so it's things like that and you know the but you when almost, it's yeah, all, you almost feel like your rep is 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 uh, overstated you know well it 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 grows and and people love to latch onto that and they're like yeah. oh yeah you guys probably used to get wasted the night before the race and blah 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 it's like no 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 the night before no yeah now i can honestly say unfortunately and i don't say this with pride really uh-huh. is that there were there were there was twice that it was two nights before the race and both times it was like, okay, need to, Oh no, you know what? It was three times. Now that I think about it. <laughs> it was, it was three times, but the pressure was on. It's almost like you put some pressure on yourself to felt a little guilty. So yeah, yeah that, and that is, you know, that, that, that was the generation, you know, that yeah, was, yeah. yeah. you know today's racers and all that are in such a different mindset such a better place and all that but but the playing field was level you know leveler Mm -hmm. um that you you know you couldn't pull that off and when when um uh, scott sipkovic who was jason um jason lawrence's uh, agent and and you know mentor friend at the time uh, some years back asked me to to mentor jason and coach him and whatnot you know, he didn't want to hear, he wanted me to coach him like it was the nineties. Right. And I, and I, for the eight days that I actually worked for him <laughs> or coached him, yeah. worked with him, um, he didn't want to hear that it was gonna, that it, it's now the two thousands and you have to, it's going to be different. Yeah. You know, um, and that's why our, our relationship, our working relationship lasted uh, right. eight days. I just feel like, yeah, like, well, I mean, the stories that I've heard from Danny and these guys is, is there would be late nights, but you'd be out in the morning for a run. You know what I mean? You, you, know, you would do this stuff, like it, for, legitimately do it. I feel like the, the Jeff Emig stories have maybe reached, you know, legendary, out of control proportions at this point. You know, so. dude, it doesn't matter. Even if you wanna, you wanna talk about Jimmy Weiner, Ron Lachine, yeah, Jason Lawrence, myself, like any of these 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 athletes that you know have this sort of. Um, um, you know, reputation, uh, in certain ways, you don't win championships without putting in the hard work. No, you don't, you just don't, even if it was just for that one season or that one championship or whatever, that's the, the work ethic is there. It's just not consistent, you know? And then you look at a guy like Ricky Carmichael, who was able to win pro motocross championship every year that he rode. And even the year that he did his farewell tour in half season, Mm -hmm. he still could have won the title that year too, you know? So, so that's in, and, and Steve, here's what it comes down to. If I ever have worked with riders or would work with riders in the future and, and coaching younger kids and talking with their parents is you just have to tell me what your goal is. If your goal is to win two titles, then yeah, let's, let's work on this, this, and this, 
and you'll have the freedom to do all this other stuff. But if your goal, which I haven't heard anybody voice it lately, is to say, I want to beat Ricky Carmichael's motocross records, um, then you're going to have to live your life much differently. So that's why the goal setting, like figuring out where you want to be, where you want to go, what's your goal, then you can create a pathway to get there. Mm -hmm. But if you're just, if there's no goal set, then you're just, you're just a, you know, a ship without a rudder, um, just, just blowing around, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Interesting. One of the cool bench racing questions is how would you have done in 2000 if you hadn't hurt yourself? Like obviously got let go from Cowie, won the U S open, super cool story, got on Yamaha's interesting to see what you would have done. Uh, if you would have, uh, you know, got back to your old level and I don't even mean the championship level, but just a podium guy. Um, that would have been a, that's a really cool, what if bench race question. Yeah. Yeah, there certainly is. I can tell you one thing that if I hadn't have, um, you know, 99, I was, I was definitely on the party train. Yeah. Yeah. I was drinking a lot. There was some other extracurricular activities that had crept into the program. Um, some things like that. And when I lost my ride, really needed to find some clarity. Mm-hmm. I did a year clean and sober. Um, so during that time period was I got on the Yamaha, got a sponsor, created my own team, won the U S open, had some good rides in the, in the, um, w- this little world supercross championship. It was yeah. really on a much better in the best place that I had been in my entire career. I break my wrist. November or I'm sorry, December 30th right? week before the first supercross. I did do my back and leg at the mm-hmm. accident, Glen Helen a week before the first motocross. So, you know, it, it, I guess we'll never know, Yeah. but what, what I know and people can judge me, they can criticize me, say, you, you, you know, whatever is that I know that in December of 99, I was riding a motorcycle and I was in the best shape of my life. I was riding a motorcycle, the best that I had ever in my career. Okay. So keep in mind, like when we'd go ride at the Supercross test tracks um, for like testing or practice days or whatever, I never was the fast lap guy. Right, right. Like it just wasn't my thing. I was all about wait, like saving it for the race type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um Throughout the fall and then into December of 99, um, when I was trying to get my own team up and going, Tim Dixon was working on my bikes. My buddy Tony Strangio was handling the business side of things for the team, and we were building a race team. Um, I'd go out to the Yamaha track, and the Yamaha Troy team's out there, super supportive. I love the environment. Um, You had – it would have been Button. And David Villman yep. on the factory Yamaha team. Yep. You had Jeremy McGrath on the, what would it have been at the time, the Chaparral Yamaha team, well, I guess. And you had uh, Steve Mathis <clears throat> and Tim Ferry on the Chaparral team as well. Uh, yep. Sorry. Yep. 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 So, um, so the environment, you look at that, what Keith McCarty had created at Yamaha, that was a really um, intense, uh, supportive, collective environment to where that you know that these these are some of the best riders if not the best riders in each class that are out there and there was a lot of pressure on it well you remember if you're out there i had that ford f-250 mm-hmm. four-wheel drive truck we'd come out to the test track with the bike 
not the practice bike, yeah. not the test bike, not the race bike. Yeah. It was the bike that we were literally building in my garage. Yes. And, and what was so great about that is when I jumped on the Yamaha in September, worked really closely with Buddy Morgan at FMF and Terry Varner, um, a bit of a, at the time, a bit of a ragtag group to work with to do the engine spec. And we built the engine spec and then we left it. We didn't change it. And what was really interesting, and you remember as clearly as anybody, I was literally one of the worst riders ever to go through a whoop section. When you had to skim the whoops, I was horrible. <laughs> I don't know if I go that far, Fro, but yeah, it wasn't your well, special. Well, Michael Lessie, right. <laughs> Michael Lessie, sorry, Mike, you, right. me and Mike were really good off the start and really bad in the whoops. Okay, I'll admit it. Yeah. So so I, I went to my dear friend, Ross Maeta from Enzo and KYB. I worked with Ross my entire professional career. I'd never used Showa. I'd never used White Power. I'd never mm -hmm. used Olins. Okay. And I said, Ross, and, and we sat down with Dixon and Tony and Ross. And it's like, what do you have to do to be Supercross champion right now? In 2000, it, it literally was, was yeah. you have to be the best guy through the whoops. And they were gnarly back then. Mm -hmm. It was gnarly. Yep. If you want to, and Dixon's like, you keep telling me you want to be Supercross champion. You have to be the best guy through the whoops. So I went to Ross. I said, Ross, you set the chassis on this YZ250 up to go through the whoops. I'll figure out the turns and I'll figure out the starts. And so consequently, when we would go out to the Yamaha track, there was no testing going on. Bridgestone was supplying the tires. We knew exactly what tires we we're going to use. Mm -hmm. There was you know, fuel from VP. It was like yep. the bike was the bike. So every day it was just about getting more in tune with the bike. It wasn't changing any clickers. I wasn't changing anything. Ross, you tell me this is a spec I have to ride with. I have to figure out how to do it. So consequently, I really challenged myself to be better through the whoop sections than what, like on a level that I never had before. Yeah. And, 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 you know, every day when it started coming around, it was like I, whatever McGrath was doing lap times, I was matching it. And if my recollection was right, it's like even guys like Billman or Button were just a click off. So McGrath does a 55.5, I'm at 55.5. The next day he goes to a 55 flat, I'm at 55 flat. So knowing that on those days, I wasn't, I never really had good times. Like that wasn't my thing. Yeah. But I knew that I was on par with the best rider of that year not only the reigning champion, but at that point he would have been the uh, yeah. uh, six time champion. Mm -hmm. So I had a really good gauge of where I was at. And, and, you know, this is something that everybody can, they can criticize it or whatever, but I know me and I know where I was at mentally, physically, emotionally, mm -hmm. I was in the best place of my, the best that had ever been in my career. And even though it ended before I had a chance to put that, to the test out yep. on the track, I, I, I honestly retired, you know, four months later, uh, because of the injury, but I honestly retired being very content knowing mm -hmm. that, uh, even though this is what the, 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 um, hand that I was dealt that, um, I had done that work and, and, and that I was at that level. So I could retire, you know, completely yeah. content. Even though I probably left three years on the table, maybe even more, yeah. knowing what I know now, maybe maybe I would have been that guy to ride till <laughs> age 36, 
you well, know? Seeing as you love so, it, seeing as you so much love it right now to this day, why not, right? Yeah, because you, you love riding a motorcycle. You love racing a motorcycle. It wasn't work to you. But that's yeah. that's why I asked that because I, was, I, was, I wasn't out there every day, but I was out there a couple times. You look great. And then I would hear from Brooks or I would hear through the grapevine, like, Fro's looking good. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. that's kind of the word that we all got, and, and I saw it myself. So a couple times. Yeah, so, yeah we were – yeah, Randy Lawrence was, uh, he was Jeremy's uh, mechanic at the time, and Randy and I go way back. Um, he told me a year or two after that, he goes, you know, we honestly were thinking, holy shit, like here, they're out there busting their ass mm-hmm. with work sports and suspension and engine changes and all that, and and I'm working out of my truck, you know? He goes, yeah. we knew, he goes, and, it, 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 you know, um, Jeremy, themselves, you know, Randy, everybody knew that, okay, this is going to be one of those time periods where Jeff gets his shit together right, right. and that, and that we're going to have to, we're going to have to deal with them. You know, yeah, yeah. we're going to have to deal with it. You yeah. know, I, I don't, who knows? I don't, I can't say what results and everything would be, yeah. but I, I know that if you look through my career, that, that at the level that I was at, that I wouldn't have been a factor, you know, and right. Ricky and I like the bullshit about it. And of course, you know, Ricky and I, we don't pull any punches with each other. We have literally, argued about this i mean a hundred times while we're sitting back drinking coors lights or whatever and he's like you really think you would have had something for me in the 2000 motocross and i'm like i will have i would have had something for you no doubt and and he 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 likes to think that there's a gap and i and i say there wasn't but but we'll never know so the great thing is is we're going to get to to uh, bitch and complain about it and argue about it for the rest of our life. Yeah, so, yeah, perfect. It's all good. Uh, before I let you go here on the uh, on the podcast, uh, you're a big music guy. Uh, you you got me turned on to a few Zeppelin stuff that I still listen to, and uh, your buddies with Jason Bonham, of course, uh, uh, Led Zeppelin's. Uh, iconic drummer's kid uh and and there's a tie-in because bonham plays with sammy hagar and i'm a huge hagar guy which leads us both back to van halen and eddie van halen passed away uh, not that long ago and and it's weird fro like obviously i never met the dude by the way though wardy shot me a note and wardy said he lived across the street from him in newport back in the day jeff ward yeah who knew that anyways um i never met him or anything else but man it's been really bumming me out like i i can't believe we're never going to hear him again. He hadn't done anything new for a while, and obviously cancer hit him. But yeah, as a big rock guy, uh, uh, Fro, I'm sure that you know um, this sucks big time because uh, his music just it's gotten me through so much stuff. Yeah, the great thing that I mean, when it comes to music, what I appreciate more than anything is when a band or an individual, when it's like it comes on and you undoubtedly know it's that yeah. band or that. It's that it, it's yeah. that artist. Right. There is no disputing it. When Van Halen comes on, or Van Hagar, as some would like to classify, but Van Halen comes on in either version, you know it's Van Halen, right? And you know we all have have you know been driving down the road, air guitaring, eruption, and and uh, yeah, hop for teacher, and you know whatever, you know. So yeah. It was just, I mean, that to me, I, I think it could be one of the greatest compliments you could give an artist like that is just their individuality is, is theirs and theirs only. There's no copy. It's no, you know, um, you know, it's no imitation. It's all original, all, all, all killer and no filler. Yeah. As they would say, right. uh, Jason actually came down and had, uh, you know, 
um, uh, the circle, which yeah. is the band that Sammy Hagar, uh, J- Jason, Michael Anthony, um, Vic, um, Johnson. what's the guitar? Vic, Vic Johnson. Yeah, Vic Johnson. Yeah. Um, they did that thing out on Catalina Island yeah. last week. Yeah. So I was going to try to get out there for it. I couldn't, um, but Jason, uh, came and had lunch here on Balboa, uh, the day before that. So it was oh, nice cool. to catch up with him. Yeah. Yeah. Brought me up to speed. I think that's, isn't it? It's this weekend, right? Yeah, the pay per view. Pay per view is this. Yeah, it might be tomorrow. Yeah, pay per view yeah. for that. So, yeah. um, yeah, absolutely bummer uh, for sure. Um, you know, obviously you're a huge did, uh, Zeppelin guy, but yeah, yeah, no, I mean, did uh, did Eddie? He he wrote all of the keyboard stuff for the for the track right now, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's he would have he would have yeah. done all that. So yep. Yep. we think of him as as a guitarist, but. Um, you know, the early days back in the seventies, but once you hit the nineteen eighty four time period when he got himself a keyboard he started doing and that. where yeah. and where he went with where he went with all these sounds and like, you know, was so untraditional. It was so uniquely his own deal. I mean, yeah, trust me, the the day that the news came around that it, that he had passed away, oh, I had it on. Because what I always like to do is I like to start with like so what was the first Van Halen. Yeah, it was just called Van Halen. Yeah. It no, was, no, no. Oh. What was the first Van Halen that anyone would have heard on the radio? And it was, um, I thought it was Running with the Devil. I, I just looked it up. I it was. I think it is. No, it's not. No, no. It was, um, uh, you really got me. Okay. And so then I like to go through the whole sort of anthology mm-hmm. and you look at the progression of someone's work. And I did that with Van Halen just last week, uh, a few years back when, um, when um, um, Aretha Franklin passed away, yep. uh, I went to a uh, friend and I went to um, Austin for the weekend and we basically made Aretha Franklin our entire soundtrack for the weekend. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just started right. at the beginning, you know, which is like some stuff that I might never have listened to. Yep. And you really get just such a such a you know an yeah. appreciation for their art and for their works i think you put it in a good way like when eddie van halen came on when van halen came on there's nothing that sounded like him back then and there still isn't much and and you're just like oh that's van halen got it you know what i mean that, that's the ultimate yeah. compliment right yeah yeah and you know what i'm gonna tie this back into supercross and motocross yeah. too um it's a little less obvious today but there still is are riders that like let's say watching supercross at anaheim it's a little bit shadowed final practice mm-hmm. and you see two ktms out there but you know one is Webb and you know one's marvin muscan yeah and fans are like how did you like you know maybe friends that you have there how did you know it's him and not him oh you can just tell you don't yeah, even have to yeah, see the number absolutely you know, you, you know that and that sort of individuality of how they ride the bike. And, mm-hmm. and you know, a guy like Adam Cincerillo to me has, like right now, he's such a unique, you know, to me, even though they're both kind of tall guys and whatnot, yep. like Cincerillo Tomac, completely tell the difference. You know? Yeah. no, and, I, yep. and I and I criticize the shit out of Zach Osborne. And Zach, if you ever listen to this, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to doubt you anymore. I'm just, he's one of those guys that you're like, you don't call him. Like you don't go, oh, he's got this amazing talent. No, no, yeah, he but, does, he doesn't have a unique style or anything. No, well, he has a unique style, but it's not what you would maybe categorize as being like like good. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a harsh comment. No, nah, yeah. yeah, but 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 where I changed, let's see, I started doing TV. It would have been 15 years ago. 
And after Ricky's career, the, the real talent that you want to have is not that beautiful, flowing, effortless writing technique and all this, all this romantic bullshit that you could throw into it. The real talent is the ability to work hard and dedicate yourself. And that shows through every time. That's the talent I want because in the end, that's the talent that's going to win you championships. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Well, uh, thanks, man. Thanks to uh, thanks for catching up with us uh, and myself and, and the listeners of the show and, and glad to hear everything as well. And, uh, yeah, man, hopefully we'll see you down at the races at some point. I know we will. Um, so really appreciate it. The Fly Racing Racer X podcast with Jeff Emig. Thanks, bro. Yeah, my pleasure. It'll be it'll be great to be uh, back at races full time. So yeah, absolutely cool, man. Thank you. All right, hope you hope you guys enjoyed it. See ya. Thanks. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as the Bad Boy Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane, Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, you know. And I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I just pulled piss and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months and the years go by.